We're continuing today in our series of messages in the Gospel of John, and we are in the second half of the, of the book, uh, where there's this uh, theme of abiding in Jesus, and he in us, and what all that entails. And we're going to continue talking about some of that today. As I was thinking about the passage we're going to be looking at today, this week, I recently saw a video on Facebook that I think I'd seen before, so it's probably been circulating for a number of years, but... Uh, there was like a road and a car stopped and in the middle of the road was a sloth that apparently had decided to cross the road. You can guess that wasn't a great idea for a sloth. Uh, so some guy in the video grabs a jacket and throws it over the sloth and very gently picks it up and takes him all the way across the road and helps him latch onto a tree. And uh, as, as he's departing, the, the sloth kind of does this. He kind of leans back and does this with his hand as if to say, thank you very much uh, for saving my life. Um, we've been talking about the, the, the work of eternal life that Jesus calls us into. That we, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are engaging in the very works of the Father, God the Father here on earth, and we are calling people to life eternal in Jesus. And you would think we are rescuing people from certain devastation and death. We would think that this would kind of be the response we'd get, right? That people would be very grateful to us for this, um, showering us with praise, right? Well, not quite. Uh, we're going to talk about that today, what it, what it looks like to bear witness in this world we happen to inhabit. I've titled the message, Bearing Witness in This World, and we're going to finish out chapter 15 of John and go on into chapter 16, verse 4, uh, first half of verse 4. So let's dive right in, verse 18 of chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me first, then you. If you had been of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, rather I chose you out of the world, this is why the world hates you. Jesus flat out tells his disciples to expect that the world around them is going to hate them. Now, we think about this, right? Jesus invites us to abide in him. He will abide in us. And it's a call to love, right? Uh, it's a call to abide in his love. And what is, abide in his commandments. And what is his commandment? That we love one another as he has loved us. Which is absolutely in a completely selfless manner. Giving his life for us. No benefit to him. All the benefit to us. Right? We are invited into this life in him of learning to love. We would think that the response should be people are really happy with us. We're no longer so selfish and mean and, and cruel like we were before. We now actually love the people around us and are reaching out to them in love. They should be more than happy with us. But we often find that that's not the case. That the world reacts with hatred. The world around us. And Jesus tells us something we need to understand about that. That it really isn't us that the world hates. The world hated Jesus first and only then turned its attention to us. 
It's only because the world we live in hates Jesus that the world directs its hatred at us. Now, if we were of the world, the world would love us as its own. Jesus is here describing the reality of the world we live in. We live in a world, ever since Adam and Eve, we live in a world that is in open rebellion against its creator. We live in a world where, by and large, all the human race, we have all decided we are going to live the way we choose to live. We are not going to accept our position within the created order as created beings with directives and administrative responsibilities under God. We're going to be gods ourselves. We're going to throw off God and do it our way, and creation has suffered the consequences of that. All creation is now under the power of sin and death. And our greed has broken the world. And every single one of us buys into this rebellion against our creator. And we rail against him because we want to do it our way, not his way. We want to be God. We want to be the one calling the shots and in charge of the universe, not God. And of course, harmony is absolutely shattered. Unity and love is killed. And we live in a world that doesn't know how to be right. A world in rebellion against its creator. What happens when we come to Jesus and Jesus says, you know what, I know all about that. I have come. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to take upon myself the sin of the world. I am going to carry the debt of all you've done wrong on myself so that I can extend to you not just forgiveness, but the power by the very Holy Spirit of God to begin the process of transforming you and breaking you free from sin, not just the consequences of it, but the very power and presence of it over your heart and life. I want to break you free from that. Jesus invites us to this, and when we do this, we are basically defecting we are abandoning the rebellion. We are saying, I don't want to fight against God. I want to surrender to him. I am waving my white flag. I am done with the war. I recognize him as the legitimate sovereign of creation. And I want nothing more than to accept my position within that kingdom. When we do that, the world around us that is still fighting the fight immediately focuses its attention on us because all of a sudden we are no longer part of the world. Now before, before we came to faith in Christ, back when we were just doing it our way and we were just carrying out our own personal version of hell on earth by making myself king of my life and whatever the consequences, that's just, you're going to have to deal with them. The world was fine with that. We're all doing that. Nobody has a problem with that. We applaud it. We celebrate it. You do you. We're so happy for it. Well, but the minute you stop doing that, the world says, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not the way you're supposed to live. It's like the world is an organism, and all of a sudden we become foreign bodies 
identified as to be eliminated and eradicated from the body because you're not part of it. Jesus, who exists untainted by this world and all, of that, all that is wrong with it, uh, comes from that perfection of God and enters our world by becoming flesh to walk among us and he comes in to rescue us. And then he chooses us out of this world so that this world is no longer our home. We become uh, strangers and wanderers in this world, knowing that this world as it now stands is not the place we are meant to be. And that we will forever be in a place where there is no sin. That this creation itself will be remade. And I too will be remade. And that is my true home. That is what I'm living my life toward. Well, when we defect, the world hates us. And that, that's the reality. We live in a world in open rebellion against its creator. And we who surrender to Jesus as Lord become defectors and enemies. I want you to ponder a moment. How have you experienced the enmity of the world around you because of Jesus? Let's keep reading verse 20. Remember the word which I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you because of my name, because they have not known the one who sent me. Jesus, we might say, okay, Jesus, the world hates you because it's in rebellion against you, and, but why should it have to hate me too? Why can't the world just hate you and leave me alone? Why can't I be in this process of redemption that you are carrying out in my life and heart? Why does the world have to hate me? And Jesus repeats something he said just a little bit earlier in that evening when he was washing the disciples' feet after he finished. He told them this, a slave is not greater than his Lord. Did Jesus deserve the treatment the world gave him? Not at all. Now, unlike me, Jesus never did anything wrong. He never did a single thing that was harmful to another person. He never abused any authority or any position or any privilege he had. In fact, he lived spotlessly. Nobody could accuse him of anything. And yet, they crucified him. Now, if there's anybody who could have said, that's not fair, Jesus is that somebody. I might say it's not fair to be treated this way, but honestly, there are probably uh, tar uh, things of rejection that I've kind of brought on myself because I'm not perfect. And I often do the wrong thing, and I often do things that are worthy of censure and rejection. So, if, if Jesus had to bear this, what makes me think that I'm better? That I am somehow privileged in some way superior to my Lord Jesus Christ? Not at all. And he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
You're going to face the same kind of opposition that I've faced. And Jesus faced hateful opposition from every uh, religious leadership group in, in Jewish life. Even guys who couldn't see eye to eye on anything agreed that they didn't like Jesus. And they did everything they could to confront him and, and discredit him and tarnish and, 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 and uh, darken his image to the world. So Jesus is saying, if they did that to me, they're going to do it to you. But here's the positive side of it. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Why did Jesus put up with all this? Why did he endure so much hostility? He didn't have to. He didn't need this. Why did he put up with it? Because not everybody did that. There are 11 guys around him right at this moment as he's saying these words that have left everything behind to follow him. There are some who heard Jesus and knew in the bottom of their souls, this is what I have been waiting for my whole life. I want to break free from sin and death. I want to be reconciled to the very one who gave me the breath of life. And I want to know what he created me for. I'm done with trying to be God. I want him to be God. And I want him to rescue me and transform me into his glorious righteousness. I want that. There are many who respond to Jesus that way. And that is the reason Jesus put up with all the other stuff he had to put up with. Out of love of those who would receive the invitation. We get to participate with Jesus in the whole thing. We get to share in the rejection, and we get to share in the joy of those who hear the word and keep it. Who hear the word and open the doors of their soul and say, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. And they throw themselves into it, and all of a sudden they pass from death to life eternal. And we get to witness the miracle of that. And suddenly the sting of rejection is not so big. Why do they do this? Why does the world reject Jesus? Why does the world reject us? Because they don't know who sent him. Here's the thing a lot of people say. Uh, now, of course, you have atheists who hate Christians. That's one group. But there are also a whole other group of religious types who uh, hate Jesus. They say, I love God. It's just Jesus I don't like. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I've got my own uh, definition of who God is, and he's awesome, and he's great, and I'm, I'm praying to him, and I'm doing all this, and I'm, I'm keeping the commandments that my religious leaders are telling me I need to keep, and, and here we go. I'm, I'm doing great. But I, those Christians, man, they're the worst thing in the world. They need to be silenced at the least. Eliminated would be better. We face that attitude from very religious people. But you know what Jesus says the reason this is happening? Is that they don't know God. God the Father sent the Son. 
And throughout the Gospel of John, he keeps referencing this idea that you cannot split them apart. There is only one God. You can't say, I'll take the Father. It's the Son I'm not interested in. It's one God. And if you don't know the Father, you may think you do. You have some definition of God that you adhere to. And, and people today really like to talk about a God of their own making. Have you ever heard people say something? I believe it's absurd. I refuse to believe in a God that X. Fill in the blank. Well, the reason people say things like that is that they really think that God is whoever they decide he is. They get to define who God is. And if God isn't who I define him to be, then I'm just going to say he doesn't even exist. That's like saying I refuse to believe in gravity if it doesn't conform to how I want it to work. God doesn't depend on your definitions to exist and to be and to act and to do everything he's doing. But th there is this uh, rejection of God because people don't know him. It was one thing to talk about God and to look at his commandments and to build religions around all of this. It's a whole different thing when God shows up on your doorstep. And he starts confronting things in you like hypocrisy. And starts calling you not just to keeping rules, but to actual transformation. To actual surrender to God. To an actual relationship with your creator. We participate with Jesus in the pain of rejection by those who love sin and in the joy of seeing some receive life and join our ranks. How are you navigating the rejection and the joy of seeing others come to faith in Jesus in your own life? Let's keep reading verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse regarding their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done works among them that no one else has done, they would have no sin. But now they have seen them and have, both, have hated both me and my father. But this is so that the word that has been written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. It might seem an odd thing for Jesus to say that if I had not come and spoken to them, if I had not done works among them that no one else has done, they would have no sin. You might suggest then, well, Jesus, then why did you come at all? Why not stay out of it if, if it was uh, hearing and seeing the things you did, if that's what puts them under condemnation? I think that's a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that they didn't have a problem until he showed up. Now we could argue perhaps that we, the, the odds were stacked against us. Yes, I have chosen my own sin by my own free choosing, but I was born into a world already under the power of sin. I have never even seen what it looks like to live in a world that is not under its power. And before I had even developed my brain and my mind and my soul enough to differentiate right from wrong, I was already in full rebellion against God. 
We could say that. And I think God was moved to pity at our plight. Even though the breaking of the world is our doing, God said, I'm going to step in and I'm going to offer an option for rescue. So that even if you were born into this world and had no choice over the condition of it as you came into it, I will give you a way to get out of it if you want. So what I think Jesus is describing here is more like what he talks about in Mark 3, verses 28 through 30. There's this, uh, he's healing and, and doing miracles and teaching and the, his opponents are, are accusing him of being possessed by a demon. They are completely rejecting the Holy Spirit's witness in their own hearts that this is the Son of God. He is exactly who he says he is. And you need to put your faith in him as the Holy Spirit is calling them to faith. They stubbornly refuse. And here's what Jesus has to say. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. If I hadn't come and purchased redemption for them, if I hadn't come and spoken to them the words of life and performed before them the acts of God that demonstrated irrefutably that I am exactly who I say I am, I have provided all the proof necessary and I have done everything necessary to call you to faith. If you still refuse me, then you have sin attached to you because I am about to blow sin away. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself all sin, the sin of the world, and eradicated the debt so that he could extend absolute free pardon to anybody, to everybody. So if that's the condition, if there is only one sin that will still be counted against us, and that is hearing that invitation, here you have it, forgiveness, restoration, and you say, no thanks, I don't want that. If you reject Jesus, you have just rejected the only possible solution to your problem. Every other sin, God's already said, I'm done with it. It's, it's over. I've, it's forgiven. The only thing that can screw it up for you is for you to say, no, I don't want it. Consider how gracious God is, how the blanket freedom he's extended to us in Christ. So yes, he came and spoke and he did the works of God and he's about to accomplish the redemption of creation itself. So if people still say, I don't want it. I don't want you, Jesus. Guess what? Your sin stays right put. He will not break you free from sin if you don't want to be free from sin. If you love sin and hate God, and you want to stay that way, God will let you stay that way. You can stay in your sin. But let me tell you this, you've got no excuse. You can't blame circumstances, you can't blame your parents, you can't blame the world you're in, because Jesus right now, listen, Jesus right now is telling you, I will forgive it all. 
Just come to me. No excuse. If you cling to your sin, that's on you. That's not on Christ. And guess what? If you hate Jesus, you also hate the Father. There are a lot of religious types who say, I believe in God, just not in Jesus. I'm a very spiritual person. I, you know, I, Jesus, man, he's, he's the worst. Christians are the absolute worst, but I'll believe in God. Jesus says, you can't have it that way. There's only one God. There's only one of us. You either love me or you don't. You don't take bits of me. If you hate me, you have rejected God Almighty, period. Jesus says, you've hated both me and my Father. And this fulfills the word written in their law. And he uses the term law broadly here to refer to all Scripture because the quote is from Psalm 69, verse 4, a Psalm of David. And he uh, is complaining in this psalm about how uh, there's such a multitude of people who have hated him for no reason. He's done nothing wrong to them. And Jesus kind of condenses that sentiment into a very short statement of it. They hated me without cause. People often speak so hatefully about Jesus. They blame him for their shame. They blame Jesus for their guilt because they're so intent on pretending there's no problem. Telling somebody that they're deathly ill and offering the solution to that illness is not hateful activity. In fact, God was so kind and generous. You know, he could have come here like a despot he could have showed up and said, I'm going to pay for the sin of the world and you're going to be cleansed of it whether you want it or not. I don't care what you want. Boom, it's done. He could have imposed redemption on us all. But he didn't. He extended it as an invitation. Do you want to be free of sin? If so, I will free you. And I will attach to that. Uh, I will allow you to share eternity with me because there's coming a day when sin and all it has to do with it is going to be eradicated from creation. So if you rather sin, you can join the eradication party. But if you want to stick around, let me invite you to share eternity with me. Jesus paid for all sins at the cross. There's only one sin, refusing to put our faith in Jesus and receive his forgiveness and transformation. That's the only sin that cannot be forgiven. How have you observed the devastation of this singular sin that it brings to people's lives? Let's keep reading verse 26. When the advocate should come, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, that one will bear witness about me. And you also are bearing witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus talks about, again, about sending the Holy Spirit to us. The word here in the Greek, paraclete, the one who stands beside 
And uh, it has, it can be a term used to describe a, a defense lawyer, a defense attorney, but it's more than that. It's the idea of God is sending his spirit to be by our side through thick and thin, and he's going to stay put. He said in, in the earlier passages that I'm going to send this advocate to be with you forever. So he says again, when I send the Holy Spirit who's going to stand beside you and be shoulder to shoulder with you in life, I'm going to send him to you from the Father. He is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Here's what the Spirit is going to do. He's going to bear witness about me. I am aware. I've been preaching for many years now. And I have been trying to share the Word of God for many years now. I've been aware from the very beginning that I cannot change a human heart. And I work, I work at this. I, I try to look carefully at the Scripture. I try to dig into it. I want to make sure uh, to the best of my abilities that I am not misrepresenting the message. I'm trying to share what God, I think, has in His Word for us. And I try to convey that to the best of my abilities. But I know no matter how well I prepare and how genuinely I, I seek to uh, share the truth without mixing my own error into it, no matter how hard I try and uh, no matter how eloquently I do it and how passionately I deliver the message, I cannot change a single thing about your heart. That's something only God can do. I can invite you. I can bear witness but if I'm doing it by myself, nothing's going to happen. Here's the great news. We are called to bear witness in a world that often will hate us, but we're not doing this on our own. God is by our side calling people to himself. Our task is to deliver the message. God's task is to transform hearts. And we get to be partners in witness. Jesus said it in the passage we were looking at last week. I'm calling you friends because I want to you to participate with me in the work of the Father. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. And we who have faith in him also bear witness. How have you lived your life as a partner in witnessing with the Holy Spirit? Let's finish the first four verses of 16. I have spoken these things to you so that you will not fall away. They will banish you from synagogues. Yet the hour is coming in which whoever is killing you will think he is offering ministry to God. And they will do these things because they have known neither the Father nor me. But I have told you these things so that when their hour should come, you may remember them that I told you. Why did Jesus tell us this? It sounds kind of like bad news, right? That the world is not going to love us for doing what we're doing. Well, he said, I, I wanted to tell you this so that when these things start happening, you don't throw in the towel and walk away from it. Sometimes people get a truncated 
version of the gospel and they come into it thinking that believing in Jesus means everything's going to be great and nobody's ever going to be unkind to us and we're going to be treated like angels for the rest of our lives and you discover very quickly that that doesn't happen. And some people say, oh, I, I didn't want to buy into this. Jesus was very upfront. If we follow him, it's going to cost us everything. Now, he's going to give us everything he's got. Guess who wins in that exchange, right? I give Jesus all I've got. He gives me all he's got. He says, I want you to know this ahead of time so that when it happens, this doesn't crush you. And he lets them know some of the things they're going to be encountering. They're going to banish you from synagogue. Synagogue was the heart of Jewish social life. To be excluded, banished from synagogue was to be excluded from Jewish life. In fact, he says, you know, it's, it's going to get so bad. The time's going to come when anybody out there who kills one of you is actually going to think he is offering an act of service or worship to God. That word there in the Greek, latreion, uh, it means service in the cultic sense. Ministry is probably a better word. Or worship. They actually are going to think that taking your life is an act of worship to God because they are so twisted in their own version of the God they have formed in their own minds. Why do they do this? Because they don't know God. They don't know the Father. They don't know Jesus. They don't know squat. Don't be surprised that some of the most hateful resistance we may face comes from the most religious people in this world because they don't know the God they supposedly claim to represent. Jesus says, I've told you this so that when that hour comes, you, you remember, oh, that's right, Jesus did tell me to expect this. Jesus is asking us to join him in the same kind of patient love he has showed to us. You know, there was a time when I was the hateful one. I was the one running from God. I was the one who didn't want anything to do with him. There was a time when I was in the world and of the world and wanted nothing to do with God. And Jesus patiently dealt with my rejection and continued to extend the invitation and won me over. We are invited to join him in that task, to extend the patient love of Christ to a world that will most often not thank us for it. Those around us who have not yet believed in Jesus are caught in a painful death trap. It's like running across a bear that has its paw caught in a trap. They're going to lash out at us even as we try to rescue them. How have you devoted yourself to the patient love of Jesus for the lost around you?
We live in a world at war with its creator. God made everything good, but we humans ruined it by choosing self first. Our greed broke the world, and we've all been railing at God ever since. And yet, God loved us. And he became a man so that he could call us to himself, give up his life on a cross to cancel all of our debt and extend to every one of us the offer of eternal life and forgiveness and restoration. All we have to do is give up the fight, wave the white flag, be reconciled. If you've done this, you are now God's. You now belong to him, and the world around you that is still at war with God is going to resent you switching sides. We now join God's Holy Spirit in calling people to faith in Jesus so that they may be rescued from sin and death. It is often a thankless task. We may be vilified. But having tasted this life in Jesus ourselves... How could we do anything else than share it, whatever the cost? We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'd like to ask the musicians to come forward. This is an opportunity in our worship for you to do something in response to God's word today. If you don't know Jesus, you're part of that war against God I've been describing, and you want to give up the fight, accept the rescue that Christ purchased for you at the cross. Uh, today is as good a day as any for you to wave the white flag, surrender to God, and give your heart and life over to him. This, uh, in, in a moment as we stand, uh, I'll, I'll ask you, come forward. And there are going to be people on either side. We'll try to position them off to the side. Don't worry about the cameras. We won't put you on the cameras. But uh, off to the side, there'll be uh, people. Just go to one or the other side and tell them this is what's on your heart. And let them pray with you and give you some, some encouragement. Maybe you already follow Christ. And today's been a reminder that you've wanted to avoid the pain of buying into the task we have before us. You've not borne witness because you knew that would involve pain. And you want to ask God forgiveness and tell him, I want to be a part of this. I want to participate with you, Holy Spirit, in this task. Give me the courage to do it. Whatever God may be laying on your heart this morning, you may just need prayer for something. Take advantage. There are brothers and sisters here to pray with you and encourage you. Let's all stand and please come while we sing.